So Exodus 31, commencing our reading in verse 12. So let's hear the word of our God. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Amen. We trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Let's just ask the Lord to... Uh, draw near and continue with us and help us even as we come to this study tonight. So let's unite in prayer. Our God and our Father, we bow before Thee. And Lord, we confess we're truly blessed. Blessed as a company of people to assemble, assemble together in this building. Well lit, warm, windows and doors still intact. And yet, Lord, we think of brethren and sisters and their place of worship has been absolutely destroyed. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee that the church of Jesus Christ can never be destroyed. We thank Thee, Lord, that that building, that great edifice of grace is built upon a solid foundation, Jesus Christ Himself. And Lord, we do pray for our brethren and sisters. We pray, O God, that Thou would help them, that Thou would bless them and use them to reach out. And Lord, that Thou would even cause this to... Uh, fall out for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Lord, that you would open many hearts in that region and round about, O oh God, to the message of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. Lord, help us now as we gather around thy truth and word. Lord, I pray for help. I pray for that cleansing and the precious blood. I pray for that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is promised to them that ask of thee. And so, Lord, we ask in simple faith, uh, we come, O oh God, with no magic formula or any such thing, Lord. We just ask that you would fulfill your promise and grant unto us all the Spirit and help us, O oh God, this night to glean from thy word thy truth and that it will cause us to follow after thee. Lord, help us now and bless us for thy Son's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Return this evening to consider another compound name of the Lord. In the order in which the names appear in Scripture, they show purpose and progression. It was evidently designed by God to meet the need, the developing spiritual need and life of His people. Now in Genesis, of course, it is the book of beginnings, and among other things, it reveals to us the beginning of sin in this world. But it's in this book, in chapter 22, that's the book of Genesis, that we have the first compound name of the Lord revealed, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will 
provide. And in the person of his son, he has provided a spotless lamb who has taken away the sin of the world. We then considered from Exodus chapter 15, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. Through the sweetening of the bitter waters of Marah, the Lord revealed unto his people that he is the one who healeth all thy diseases, both spiritual and uh, one day physical. He does heal them all through his redemptive work. And the last time we moved on a few chapters to the account of Israel's conflict with the Amalekites and Moses' intercession in Exodus chapter 17. And there the Lord revealed himself unto his people as Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. We noted that Christ is our ensign. He is our banner. And as he was lifted up on the cross, he defeated all his and our enemies. And through his unfailing and perpetual intercession, which is based on the atonement that he made, we shall prevail and we shall overcome. Now the next compound name of the Lord that we're going to consider this evening has escaped the attention of some because it's not transliterated in our English Bibles like some of the other names. And we find it first mentioned here in Exodus chapter 31 and the verse 13. Towards the end of the verse we read these words, I am the Lord that doth sanctify you, or Jehovah M. Keshesh. Jehovah M. Keshesh. Now Israel had been given here, they'd just been given the pattern of the tabernacle, and it's possible that the fourth commandment was reiterated really at this juncture to dissuade any zealous builders from profaning the Sabbath day, getting to work on the Lord's day. And it's also worth noting that this first, or this revelation of the Lord's name is given first when Moses is upon Mount Sinai and when the children of Israel are forging a golden calf at the base of the mountain. Now, this is the only use of this name in Exodus. It's in the book of Leviticus that we really have this name predominantly used. It's mentioned there in the Hebrew seven times. We have two other mentions in the Old Testament, both in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 20 and the verse 12, and Ezekiel 37 and the verse 28. But mostly, this name for God is, is used in the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus sets forth the holy way in which a people already redeemed should walk worthy of their calling and the spiritual worship that the Lord demands of them. And therefore, sanctification is a most important theme in the book of Leviticus. Now tonight, we want to make a start considering this name, Jehovah M. Keshesh, or the Lord who sanctifies thee. That's how we can understand it, the Lord who sanctifies thee. And we're going to just think about two headings this evening. Make a start, and the next time it will carry on. Firstly, I want us to think about the meaning. Now, each of the times that we find a phrase, the Lord that doth sanctify you or thee or similar in our English Bibles, it's only two words in the Hebrew, Jehovah and Kadesh. Now, Kadesh is a root word, and it means, well, clear enough from the text, it means to sanctify. And that word's translated in other ways in the Old Testament, such as dedicate, consecrate, sanctuary, or hallow. 
It's found in its various forms over 700 times in the Old Testament. Now, the Hebrew word for holy is kodesh. And it comes from that same root word. And you can see the similarity. But the primary meaning of this word, Kadesh, it means to set apart or to separate. Now the first time we read of God sanctifying anything is at the completion of creation. When he sanctified the Sabbath day, as we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. The word sanctify, it's not mentioned again until Exodus chapter 13. And the verse 2, and there the Lord, he commands, he commanded Moses to sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Now from its usage, this word Kadesh, or to sanctify, we see that it is applied to times and seasons. We have seen there, just mentioned, that God, he sanctified the Sabbath. He set it apart from the other days. It was to be a different day used for holy purposes. But God also sanctified other times and seasons. We have the great feasts and fasts with their spiritual significance. They were times that were specially set apart and celebrated by God's people. And we read of that in the opening five verses of Leviticus chapter 23. The word, it also is applied to places. The camp of Israel, the hill of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, the tabernacle, the temple, the altar. Those places were all set apart for the special presence and the worship of the Lord. Precious metals were also sanctified. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 19 we read, But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the sanctuary Of the Lord. And the word is also applied to persons. So it's applied to periods, to places, to precious metals, and to persons. And we read of individuals who were set apart from birth or even before their birth in the scripture. We think, of course, of Jeremiah. And what did the Lord say to Jeremiah? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, I set thee apart, I separated thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. The Levites, they were set apart to minister unto the Lord. Aaron and his sons, well, they were consecrated, they were separated out from among the people to the priesthood. The point involved in all these instances of setting something or someone apart What's the point? What's the common denominator? Well, it's really contact with God. The Sabbath day was sanctified because God rested in it. The tabernacle and the temple, well, they were set apart because they were the special dwelling place of God on earth. The precious metals, well, they were sanctified because they were to be used in the service of the Lord. The men, they were set apart to to minister before the Lord. There needed to be this setting apart and separating unto God. But we must not simply think of the word sanctify in relation to someone positionally, always thinking about that setting apart or separation. For the word also carries with it the resultant holiness of character 
in the person who is set apart. Now the word holy, it also has that primary meaning of setting apart or separateness. But the word holy, it's come to mean and come to represent moral and spiritual qualities and attributes. And while there is in that sanctified, what we think about the meaning of sanctified, it means to be separate and set apart from all evil and wickedness. That's really only the negative aspect of the word. It also means positively to possess moral excellence and to exhibit those excellencies. Now, we see that point, not only the negative and the aspect, or the negative and the positive aspect of that word. We see that point concerning the children of Israel in Leviticus chapter 18 and the verses 3 and 4. Turn to Leviticus 18, verses 3 and 4. Not only this positional being separated, but also there's this holiness, this resulted holiness of character to the one who is consecrated, who is dedicated, who has been set apart. So Leviticus chapter 18 And the verses 3 and 4. Obviously the Lord speaking to Moses and he tells him to speak unto the children of Israel. Verse 3. The Lord says to them there, After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwell, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Now there is the negative. What you should not do. There's their separateness, if you like. They were to be different. They were to be set apart from not only those of Egypt, from whom they've come out of, but Canaan to where they were going into. But then it goes on, verse 4. Ye shall. Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. There's the positive. There's the holiness. There's what they were to exhibit, what they were to do. See, the people of God must be holy in practice as well as separated in position. And here is a challenge for us. You know, we can be separated in our position. And I'm, I'm not speaking and talking here ecclesiastically and we're separated from the apostasy and ecumenism and all these things. I'm not speaking about that type of separation, but, but rather we can separate ourselves from the things of the world, from drink and drugs and immorality and smoking and dancing and etc., And we should do that. But that's only the negative side of sanctification. What we are separated from. We are also separated unto holiness. We are to be more holy. We will become partakers of the divine nature. We will exhibit greater moral qualities in our lives. Now when thinking of the meaning to sanctify. The Lord which sanctifieth thee, or the Lord who sanctifies thee. To Thinking of that meaning to sanctify, or sanctification really, well, we can't do better than the shorter catechism, can we? And the answer that's found there, sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die unto self and to live unto righteousness. And I think this congregation, well, you're well versed in the meaning of the word sanctify, but that's just to refresh your minds and bring it before you this evening and to apply those little points. Yes, positionally, we're separated from. And yes, there's many of us, we don't do the things of all the people in the world, but that's just the one aspect. 
We are to exhibit those moral qualities and, and excellencies in our lives and demonstrate them as we live in this ungodly world. But secondly and finally tonight, so we've thought about the meaning. I want to think about the model. The model. In Leviticus 11 verse 44, we read these words. Leviticus 11 and verse 44. We have these words. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Turn on over to Leviticus chapter 20, and in the verse 26. Leviticus 20, and the verse 26. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Now it's thought that it was one of those two texts that the Apostle Peter quoted in his first epistle. You know, be ye holy for I am holy. As he wrote there in his epistle, as it is written. So the thought is he either quoted there from that text in Leviticus 11 or Leviticus 20. Now when we think of separateness, and that's really what sanctification is, to be set apart, to be separate, then surely we must think of God himself. He is the standard, He is the model of what it means to be separate from all evil and wickedness, while at the same time positively possessing all moral perfections. The Lord is apart and He is above from all else in this universe, and that's really His transcendence. Moses says of God, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 3, The Lord, He is God, there is none beside Him. And there's a multitude of texts which speak of how the Lord is set apart, how He is transcendent, how He is above and separate from all other things. Exodus chapter 15 and the verse 11. The question is asked, who is like unto the Lord among gods, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And of course the answer is, well, there is none like unto Him. That's the otherness of God, completely different from all others. Hannah, she prayed, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Among other things, it is the holiness of God which sets him apart. Some would even venture to say that above all other things, it is his holiness. What's, that sets him apart. God is the ultimate separatist. He's the model, he's the standard of what it means to be separate from evil and wickedness while at the same time positively possessing moral excellence. Now the realm of God's holiness, it's a vast subject. The theologian Louis Burkhoff, he said, it does not seem proper to speak of one attribute of God as being more central and fundamental than another. But if it is permissible, the scriptural emphasis on the holiness of God would seem to justify its selection, the holiness of God. And by using the names Kadosh, which means the Holy One, or Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies, or the Lord who makes holy, God reveals to man 
that above all things he is holy. He is separate from all defilement and evil, and he stands opposed to sin. But also the sum of all moral excellency is found in him. God reminds us again and again of his absolute purity. He's untouched by even the slightest speck of sin. And that is something that is hard for us to understand. Now, the Scripture describes the holiness of God in various ways. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. The prophet Isaiah, when he saw a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, and His glory filling the temple, he, he saw the vision of the seraphim, and they were crying unto one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you know that grand vision of the, the Lord's holiness? Well, it made Isaiah feel utterly unclean and sinful, even though we have to say by our, our standards, we would regard Isaiah as a good and an upright man. But even the most saintly of persons in this world, when they would stand before God, they would not be able to do anything but respond the exact same way as Isaiah did, woe is me, for I am undone because of the majesty of God's holiness. The brightness of His glory would put us into the dust. Now, there are other ways in which God has revealed His holiness besides His names and titles. God's holiness is revealed in His works. In Psalm 145, in the verse 17, we read these words. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. And holiness is characteristic of everything, everything that God does. Whatever He does is consistently holy. For instance, when God created the world, His creation was very good. There was not the least imperfection in all that He made when He made it. Even the fallen angels and fallen man were created holy before they fell into sin. Another thing that reveals the holiness of God are the laws of God. Every law that God has given to man bears the imprint of His holiness. And those laws include His ceremonial laws, like concerning the layout of the tabernacle, the priesthood, the various offerings. You know, those laws, they impressed upon Israel more than anything else. The concept, the reality of God's holiness. Through the prescription of rituals and sacrifices and the need for purification, the very setup of the tabernacle with the linen boundary, it emphasized the holiness and the separateness of our God. But holiness was also revealed in the moral law. Romans 7, verse 7, sorry, verse 12 says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. The holy character of the moral law is seen. is seen in its many prohibitions against sin in all its various forms. And what holiness requires of us, and what it forbids, is summarized, as we know, in the Ten Commandments. But that standard of holiness 
which is revealed in the law of God, it actually condemns us. It reveals our guilt and our own unholiness before God. If God had not given us His law, which is really a perfect moral reflection of who He is, as a standard of holiness, if He did not give us the moral law as a standard of holiness, then we would not know what sin is and we would not know how sinful sin is. And that's what Paul taught in Romans 7 verse 7. He says, I had not known sin but by the law. And yet it is that holy law, it is that moral law that shows us the only person who is without sin, any sin at all. The only person in whom holiness is perfected as a man And that is, of course, Jesus Christ. The angel, he announced to Mary, and he spoke of that holy thing, that shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples, when they're praying, they refer twice to Christ as the holy child. God is the model of holiness. He is a standard of separateness from sin and iniquity. And that is a glory which each one of us have fallen short of. That model, that standard, we have all failed to match up to. Therefore, as you well know, we are deserving of death. And separation, not from evil, but from the God who is of pure eyes to behold evil. However... We rejoice that Christ, the God-man, did not fall short of that standard. He didn't. Only He fulfilled and satisfied every requirement of God's law to the letter because it was written upon His heart. He is the one who is holy, who is harmless, who is undefiled, who is separate from sinners. He revealed to us holiness in His life, but He also revealed holiness to us in His death. Because God's holiness is seen in His works, is seen in His laws, but is also seen and revealed most especially at the cross. The death of Christ was the most powerful revelation of God's infinite holiness. A.W. Pink, he said, God's holiness is manifested at the cross wondrously, and yet most solemnly does the atonement display God's infinite holiness an abhorrence of sin. How hateful sin must be to God for Him to punish it to its utmost deserts when it was imputed to His only begotten Son. End of quote. If God had been any less holy than He really is, well then surely He would have spared His own Son from the agony and the pain that He suffered on the cross. And yet Christ himself was set apart. He was sanctified from all eternity to suffer, to die on the cross for our redemption. Being a true man, he himself was separated. He was chosen out from among the people to be the bearer of our sin. And God's holiness necessitated our sanctification if we were ever to dwell with Him. And Christ has accomplished that. He has purchased that on the cross of Calvary. The benefits of what He accomplished on the tree, it's applied to us by the Spirit of God, who is also called the Holy Spirit. Now, why is He denominated the Holy Spirit? 
Well, it's not because that holiness is any more peculiar to him than the first or the second persons of the Trinity, but because he is the author of holiness in God's people. And we're going to think about that more in our next study. But surely in this lies the wonder of our salvation. Here's this triune God who's perfect in holiness. He's set apart, he's separate from all that is evil. He's filled with all moral excellence. He's a model of what it really means to be sanctified, what it truly means to be sanctified. He's the standard bearer. He is the model. And yet He is the one whom we have offended by our sin. And here's the marvel of it. Here's the wonder of it. He is the one who undertakes to sanctify us. I am the Lord, which sanctifies thee to make that which is utterly unholy, completely holy. That's what he does. Out of his free and his sovereign grace, he has set us apart from all eternity in Christ. He has also separated us out from among this ungodly world by his effectual call. He has imputed unto us a righteousness He is progressively making us more and more holy, conforming us into the image of His dear Son. Until one day we will be perfectly and eternally sanctified. Can you imagine that? He takes that which is utterly unholy, that which is absolutely depraved, and that's you and me that the Scripture speaks of, and He makes us completely holy. What will it be like to be separated from all that is evil within and without? To To be completely morally pure, to be perfect in holiness. And we must understand that Holiness is blessedness. Holiness is happiness. To be like Him. To be a partaker of the divine nature. A nature that is holy. And that's what He has purposed for His people. That's what God has purposed for you. And that is why He reveals Himself to us as Jehovah M. Kadesh. The Lord who sanctifies thee. The Lord who makes thee holy. What a wonder that is. He, who had every just cause to leave us in our sin, to leave us morally impure, utterly defiled, completely corrupt and unholy, takes us, washes us, cleanses us, sanctifies us until one day we are perfect in holiness forever. The wonder of. And he reveals himself here. Exodus chapter 31 verse 13. He reveals himself unto his people. I am the Lord that doth sanctify thee. I am Jehovah M. Kadesh. You thought this evening about the meaning and the model. The next time, Lord willing, we're going to think about the mandate and the means. It is God's mandate that He makes His people holy. A mandate that will be fulfilled. That He does most certainly carry out. 
and there is means by which he does it. And we'll think about that the next time. But may the Lord bless his own word to his heart for his own name's sake.